Testing some mic gain, testing some mic gain, just seeing how high that mic gain is. You're listening to the Bad Brain Curio Shop with your host, Aaron M. Bond. It is Friday, May 31st. Unlike certain podcasts, I'm not going to presume what day it is. I'm going to say the day that it's recorded. You know if I'm targeting this at you. Anyway, so it really is May 31st. Um, Got a pretty good show lined up for you today. Got some things uh, written down, some show notes, if you will, that I think sound pretty good. Uh, And so let's get right into it. We're going to do shout-outs. I'm going to do a few of the weeks. I'm going to talk a little bit about some crazy personal news. It's been kind of a crazy week. Uh, Some news around the world, some video game stuff, a technology tip for you, some movies, and a little bit on books and other media. So let's dive right in. Um, To start out with, shout-outs. First, I want to shout out to Matt Etter. Uh, that is the Matt of Mad Chat with Matt and Chad. Um, just wanted to congratulate him. He's now the Chief Programming Officer over at Follow Networks, which you can access by going to www.followthe.tv. Um, I might actually have that wrong, but it is followthe.tv. There may be no www. Try both ways. Google will correct you. But anyway... He's now the chief programming officer over there. It seems that they're getting really incorporated and serious. So, slightly intimidating, but I'm really happy for him. And uh, hopefully we'll get some more really great content. If you haven't seen some of their stuff, head over to followthe.tv right now. You know, stop this podcast. Definitely come back, but stop this podcast. Go listen to it. They're really great things. Um, also wanted to give a second shout-out to Chris and Chris Take Over the World. A, because they shouted out to me. And B, their new format is pretty awesome. I especially like the shit you should know segment. Uh, so definitely give them a listen as well. They're doing really cool stuff too. Uh, once again, that's at Chris the Wolf. Chris is spelled with a Y. Dot com slash my podcast. So those are shout outs this week. So let's move on to things of the week. The word of the week is calipigeon. Let me spell that for you. It's C-A-L-L-I-P-Y-G-I-A-N. Calipigeon. Calipigeon means to have a shapely buttocks. I think it's a really great word. It's been one of my favorite words for a long time because nobody knows what you're saying, even though that you're complimenting somebody on something you can't typically compliment them on. Um, And it's easy to remember because if you've ever heard the old Beach Boys theme, you just got to remember, wish they all could be Calipigeon girls. So, yeah. Um, Other stuff of the week. The Belisarius Studios TV show of the week, Quantum Leap. I wanted to bring a note up with Quantum Leap just because it's one of my favorite shows. I recently watched a DVD of it while I was cleaning around the house, and I just forgot how much of my own personal ethos is kind of built upon that show and built on the idea of sam beckett you know selflessly writing things that once went wrong so just shout out there to that or of the week out there to that 
If you guys have never seen Quantum Leap, I mean, really, just stop again. You know, quit all of the podcasting. You're probably back here from one of Matt's podcasts, but stop again. Go and watch Quantum Leap, and then you'll only have heard maybe five minutes of today's podcast. And that's great, but seriously, finish the podcast. Anyway, um, and the last of the week is a story. The story of the week is All Summer in a Day by Ray Bradbury. It's a story I read in high school. In fact, all of my friends did, I believe. Uh, And the premise is it's on Venus. Uh, It's in the far future. And, you know, of course we know now this couldn't be possible. Venus would never have life. But Venus is, um, in the story, always rainy. It's always cloudy. So Venus is Seattle. Um, And what happens is... Once a year, the clouds align just perfectly that you have a sunny day for about an hour. And a little girl um, immigrates there from Earth, and she's horribly depressed because she used to love sunshine, she loved going out to play, and in Venus you just can't do that. Um, And the school kids, being, you know, typical cruel school kids, lock her in the closet for the one hour of the day that, you know, summer would show up on this planet. So it was kind of a, you know, the cruelty of strangers kind of story. So a little depressing, but I always found it really provocative. Um, Like I do all of uh, Ray Bradbury's writings. He's actually one of my favorites. So that's the stuff of the week. Um, Moving on a little bit to some personal stories. As mentioned on Chris and Chris Take Over the World, uh, Adrian and I have been gardening quite a bit. The front and side flower beds now have lots of different flowers in them, some of which we call Seuss flowers because they look like they came out of the Dr. Seuss illustrations. Uh, We're hoping to get both of those beds weeded and mulched and just looking fantastic throughout the year. Uh, Adrian has also gone into the backyard, and she's dug up an entire quadrant for a vegetable garden, which is looking absolutely fantastic. So... If you're friends with me on Facebook, you can see the pictures there. If I get really ambitious before I end up editing this stuff together, I'll put it in the show notes as well, uh, a link to some pictures so you can see what that looks like. But I've been doing a lot of gardening, and it's funny, I've always been fairly intimidated by gardening because we're talking about a living thing, and I'm kind of afraid that I will kill it, and, you know, that that makes me very nervous. Um Adrian is a good partner with me on that because she has a much more zen attitude about it. I asked her at one point, you know, do we need to water these flowers frequently? And she said, actually, uh, my philosophy is if you have to water a plant, it should die. So we have a Thunderdome of the fauna world going on in our flower beds. You know, the one last one to get the water survives or whatever. But it's okay, because, you know, we don't have to think a ton about it other than just planting them. And for the most part, everything's doing really well. We've had a lot of rain here, so that's helped out a lot. Other stuff. I sold my first ever item on eBay. Never done that before. Um, So that's kind of exciting. What I plan to do throughout, I'm kind of a classic video game collector. And the more games that I get, uh, a lot of times there will be a game that I really want... But either on Craigslist or on eBay, it comes in a lot of, like, two or three. And the other two I already have copies of. So this is sort of my way of, like, selling off the extras and, you know, making a little bit of money for other games on that. 
Uh, so I sold a really, really old uh, extra copy of Final Fantasy III for the Super Nintendo. And I'll just take this moment to stop in there and say Final Fantasy III is probably one of my favorite games of all time. I did keep my own cartridge. This isn't one that I sold, but um, I'll probably cover, cover that in either later this podcast when we talk about video games or some other time. But um, it was surprising how easy it was, and it was surprising how cheap it was. I was expecting there to be listing fees or something along those lines. And I got all the way through it, and it didn't charge me a dime, and then I got to the end, and it said, you know, um, up at the top, after I had signed out of eBay, and eBay was just showing me their standard screen, they're like, this week only, no seller's fees. So that's not something I'm going to get too terribly used to. But by the same token, it was a pretty good experience. I listed three items, one of them sold, and I figured since I've never done this before, that's, that's a pretty good ratio, and the other two I've lowered their price to try and compete. So... That's been interesting, but the thing that's been really tying up my time lately is Adrian is uh, moving in here to the house, so that's been exciting for us because we can kind of combine resources and make one place that's really, really home, because right now we both kind of feel like we homelessly sleep on each other's couches. Well, we don't sleep on the couches, but, you know, we keep bouncing back and forth between each other's places. Um... And this is kind of our chance to pool our resources and make a place that's really cool and maybe host some of our friends and, you know, just just really make a home. But it has been a lot of work. Um, a lot of stuff that we're going to do this weekend. The good news is she, in her lease, has a two-month lead time. That sucks from a financial perspective because, you know, she says, okay, I've put in my two-month notice, but I still have to pay two months of rent. So... While that sucks, by the same token, it also gives us a long lead to try and move everything and decide what of the furniture we're going to move and what of the furniture we're going to sell and, you know, what of all of her stuff can go where and how we can pack it. So we can take a couple of weekends to try and do this as opposed to, like, doing it all at once uh, in a day, which would be more stressful than this has been. Um... The other big change is she has a cat, uh, an old, uh, well, he's not old, he's actually a lot younger than my cat, uh, Smokey, and uh, he's funny because he's a bit of a bruiser. Uh, Smokey is a really kind of big cat. He's, uh, I think they call him Petodactyl, so he has extra toes. Uh, He's really cool, he's really friendly, he really likes people, but neither of our cats apparently do really well with other cats. So I'm just going to stop here, and I'm going to play you a little snippet that I recorded just for the podcast of the first night introducing the two cats into their home and some of the noises that we put up with. We eventually locked them downstairs and went to bed, but I thought you'd enjoy this. Although I do appreciate you not biting anyone. together and be friends. So yeah, we've we've had some feline domestic tension going on in the house, but 
they've slowly gotten used to each other. They're getting more and more approachable. For a long time, it was sort of smoky growling and hissing at Diogenes. Diogenes is my cat. Um, and I was a little worried about her, too, because even though she's really healthy and really, really spry, she's 14 years old, so she's kind of set in her ways. And that has kind of showed up lately, because Smokey's stopped really giving a shit, but every time he's in the room, uh, Diogenes takes only a few seconds to start her own hissing. So, you know, a little piece at a time, but it is still significantly better than it was four or five days ago, so... Yay for kitty domestic bliss. But we'll be moving. Um, well, uh, we'll be moving Adrian in. So that that's been eating up a lot of my time and eating up a lot of our <laughs> a lot of our strength. But it's still going to be really good because we're going to, you know, have a single place. It'll probably save us on little gas trips and whatnot. Um, some world and U.S. news. Gas prices here in Minnesota have been a little bit crazy. Apparently, they shut off two different refineries around the Chicagoland area. So, like, the top of Indiana, the bo- the top of Illinois, that kind of, like, singular area. But what was really strange was if you looked at a heat map of all of the gas prices, Minnesota was kind of singularly affected by this. <laughs> Uh, And I don't know if they've gone back to these companies and said, you know, you need to prepare better for your maintenance because our city is being crushed by prices or whatnot, but they've eased a little bit. Um, But yeah, at some point last week we had, like, gas prices, or not last week, two weeks ago we had gas prices of around $3.75, and then overnight it jumps up to, God, what was it, $4.20? So, things got a little crazy pretty quickly, and it looks like somebody has taken the initiative to find some way to bring that stuff back down. Uh, In addition to that, um, I decided to go out and look up some happy news, because, you know, we always hear bad news, and I, I figured... I I get sick of that sometimes and definitely get sick of political news. So I actually found a website uh, recommended to me by a friend, I think, called happynews.com. And I just wanted to share this really interesting article, um, which was today's top story. A mind-reading computer could communicate with coma patients. So if you think about that, that's... We always kind of wonder, you know, are are you cogent when you're in a coma? Is it like a different state of consciousness, but you're still reachable. Apparently, Canadian researchers have developed this mind-reading computer that could help communicate with these people. And they can even get them to convey, like, yes or no answers based off of the areas of their brain that light up when the computer, or when they ask uh, questions. So, and they've tried it with, like, test questions, like things like, you know, yes or no, do you have brothers or sisters? And the brain lights up appropriately. Um, for people who do and or don't. So that's kind of exciting and interesting news. I always kind of wonder how long it'll be before we go the sci-fi route of completely digitizing our brains, you know, and becoming beings of thought. Because while I'm, I'm a spiritual man of sorts, I still feel like the soul of a person isn't in the flesh of the person, or even in the brain of the person, it's in the organization. Um, 
probably comes from me being a computer scientist. You know, we have lots of tiny little thoughts, but that collection of those things together in a certain order, in a certain priority, that's what makes us actual human beings with personalities and act, you know, and and who we are. And Arthur C. Clarke tackled this in the uh, third, or no, the fourth, um, 2001 A Space Odyssey series, 3001 The Final Odyssey. People just get backed up to hard drives because the thing that makes you alive is being able to run that data in a computer in that fashion. And so essentially people are programs. And I don't know how true that is, because we still haven't quite figured out where we cross that line into sentience or what causes that. But by the same token, I think that that's always been an interesting piece for, like, human and computer interaction. And it sounds like, you know, since we're getting better at understanding how the brain works and interfacing with computers, I wonder how long it will be before we could feasibly store a person's personality or fractions of their thoughts into or thought processes into a computer program or into a storage medium so that they become the computer program so to speak uh so that was that's some happy news on our you know u.s and world news section um the gas price is not quite as much but it's good that they're going back down so uh video games I had a couple this week. I haven't really had a lot of time to play many video games, but because of my testing for Final Fantasy III, I thought I might talk a little bit about that here. Anybody who knows me knows I'm a huge Final Fantasy fan. Um, Up until the point where Square Enix became Square Enix. Square Enix used to be a company called Square Soft, uh, and before that I believe it was just called Square. And then they merged with Enix, and it sort of feels like, for both Enix and Square, the quality of the product once they merged has gone steeply downhill. Um, I very much enjoyed Final Fantasy X, and it's the last one of the old Square period. And Final Fantasy X-2, I believe was shortly thereafter when they had merged, and it is, it's interesting, but it's trite. But never mind that. Um, so this is a very, very classic game, and there's a kind of funny numbering scheme thing that happened with Final Fantasies. If you're really into this series, you know it. So if you're looking for Final Fantasy three now or any of the remakes, you're going to actually look for Final Fantasy six, Because the way it worked out, in Japan, they released Final Fantasy, and then they released it here as well. It was a huge critical hit everywhere. But... Squaresoft has had this interesting problem where they think Americans don't know how to enjoy RPGs, and they've made some interesting missteps because of that. So they released a Final Fantasy II and a Final Fantasy III. One, two, and three of the Japanese editions are all for the original Nintendo Entertainment System or Famicom systems. Um, One, two, and three or 2 and 3, were never released here originally because it was felt that American audiences would find them too difficult and they were too much of the same thing to hold American interest. So we were considered by the Japanese to be the kind of problem children of writing video games. Um, 
sidebar, this also led to them releasing what is one of the most critically panned RPGs of all time, Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, which is, I would say, literally a, like, Fisher Price, (laughs) build your own, or a Fisher Price, my first RPG. It holds your hand through so much crap, and it was only released here in lieu of giving us, I believe, Final Fantasy V. So anyway, Final Fantasy IV is released, and that becomes the first Super Famicom uh, Final Fantasy. Here, that's Super Nintendo, and it was Final Fantasy II, because they had skipped the Japanese 2 and 3. Final Fantasy V comes out in Japan, and they once again decide this is too much for American audiences. We'll release Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, which was the crappy game I just mentioned. Um, So we didn't see Final Fantasy V until the PlayStation era. Uh, But that was for Super Famicom. And then Final Fantasy VI was released um, here and there. Here it was called Final Fantasy III. And once again, this was the last Final Fantasy game for the Super NES or Super Famicom. What was interesting with Final Fantasy VI and really set it apart from Final Fantasy 1 through 4 was, I felt, the extremely strong individual character development. Final Fantasy 4 almost gets there, um, but Final Fantasy 6 has just a really rich interrelating array of characters, all of whom you get to play with and have different skill sets and you can build in different ways and combine for different you know party capabilities and you just get really invested in. I've never been invested in characters quite so much as I was for Final Fantasy 6. The other thing that sets it apart uh, from all of the previous Final Fantasies up to that point was that the bad guy was extremely charismatic. Now this again is somewhat touched off on in Final Fantasy 4, which, spoiler alert, but I think this came out... I don't remember how long ago Final Fantasy 4 came out, but if you haven't played Final Fantasy 2 in America slash Final Fantasy 4, you might skip the next couple seconds. But the initial enemy, Golbez, actually ends up being the main character's brother. That was an intriguing way to spin an enemy. But the problem was, the last enemy ended up being a lot like the previous Final Fantasies. It was just the evil guy who's doing it because he's evil, and evil is incorporated in him, and he is evil incarnate, and that's what happens when you deal with evil. Um, Final Fantasy VI actually had a crazy but somewhat human character. He even had quite a few comic relief moments. He was a joke through a lot of the game. And they actually give an explanation about what broke him and sort of made him into this villain. He was a subject of experimentation. I'm talking about Kefka for those who uh, are familiar with the characters. Kefka started out as a general for this empire that controls the entire world. Um, But they were working on experimentation with what are called espers. Espers are magical beings. And they were trying to imbue humans with magic, but they didn't get the process quite right, and Kefka was an early general who tried it, and he just never came out of it quite the same. And because of that, he was just maniacal. He really wanted to 
have control of the whole world, and because of his capabilities, he felt obliged to it. Like, he felt like that was... The world should be giving him this kind of power. Um, But in the meantime, you know, he shows a lot of unspeakable cruelty. I'm not going to say that he was incredibly multidimensional. But by the same token, you could see that there was there there. There was actually a character written behind it versus just the I am the root of all evil in this universe made into a being so that it's more convenient to talk to you. Um, This game is the first game where I actually, um, you know, kind of had the feels, so to speak. There There were points in this game where I actually really felt for the characters. Um, again, spoiler alert, but this is a really old game. Uh, at one point in the middle of the game, the world is destroyed. And I thought that was an interesting plot point, too. You have Armageddon in the middle of the game, and then you the second half of the game is all about rebuilding the, the broken world. Um, but after the Armageddon, one of the characters, Celeste, ends up on this island with one of the... Um, Empire's scientists, Sid. And they don't know that the rest of the world has also survived. They don't know if they're the only human beings left. And Sid is older. He's like a grandfathery kind of figure, and he's very sick. And there's a kind of difficult mini-quest that you have to do to try and save him, and I did not succeed. And what was crazy was when I failed and he died. Keep in mind at this point I probably wasn't even I would say I was probably still in junior high, maybe a little younger but when Celeste fails to keep him alive she actually loses it a little bit obviously because now she's so lonely. There is nobody else in the world that she knows about And she runs to the highest cliff of this entire island and throws herself off. I had never seen suicide attempts in a game before. Um, You know, and luckily she doesn't succeed and she's revived. And it turns out that he left a raft for her with a note saying, Go, you know, get off this island and see if there's anyone else in the rest of the world. One of us has to have hope. And it was this incredible incredibly powerful moment particularly to be portrayed by you know the then powerful but now you know very primitive super nintendo's 16-bit graphics um so it's easily in my top 10 of favorite games it's pretty high up there between it and chrono trigger which i'm sure i'll talk about at some point it's probably one of my top two um, so if you've never played Final Fantasy VI, you can get it for PlayStation. It's available uh, as a Greatest Hits uh, PlayStation 1 disc. You can get it for the Game Boy Advance. That's a little bit harder to do because that one's more rare. Um, you can get it for the original Super Nintendo. It'll be labeled as Final Fantasy III. It has a purple foreground. Um, or you can get it, I believe, off Wii's Virtual Console, which would be the easiest way to get it right now. Um, if you're at all a role-playing game fan or just like good stories, definitely check it out. It's really worth it. The other uh, video game that I thought I'd mention here, I haven't had much time to play 
this game, um, but I was so excited to get it, and I'm it is living up to my expectations. So I I hope that I eventually have more time to go back to it. Is Sly Cooper Four um, Thieves in Time? The Sly Cooper series was one of the first games I picked up when I picked up my PlayStation Two. And when I was a kid, I missed a generation of consoles. Uh, I got up to Super Nintendo and kind of fell off the the radar around the time of the original PlayStation and the N64 um, and the Dreamcast and all of that stuff going on, the Sega CD even. Right around that time, I just wasn't getting new consoles very much. And... Because of that, I missed out on a big generation. And I got the PlayStation 2 right on the tail end of that generation. Um, picked it up primarily so I could play Final Fantasy uh, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Because all of the PlayStation games are backwards compatible with uh, PlayStation 2. They're also uh, backwards compatible with PlayStation 3. But anyway, Sly Cooper was one of the first PlayStation 2 games I ever picked up. And it was really my first example of a stealth game. And the thing I love about this series is it has some really deep and dark types of stories to it. But by the same time, by the same token, it stays light enough that a child could enjoy it and not necessarily be that scared of it. Um... The animation in these games is has been amazing from the start. They were one of the first games that I saw using um, cell shading for the PlayStation era. PlayStation 2 era, I should say. And it's gorgeous, but it's not the typical kind of gorgeous. It's a little bit different. Uh, a little cartoony. Uh, one of the ways in which this game really, really, really shines is the voice cast is phenomenal. I usually hate voice acting in video games, although lately it seems like they've gotten a lot better about this. Um, but Final Fantasy X, as much as I love that game, and as beautiful as I think the story and themes and music and everything is, the one thing that will suck me out of it so quickly is a lot of the voiced cast is just sleepwalking. I mean, they are they are barely barely enunciating their... or not enunciating, that's not what I'm trying to say. They barely show their emotion at all. Um, and some of the writing for the voice uh, cast in Final Fantasy X was really bad as well, although I think that that's probably a translation issue. None of that problem exists in any of the Sly Cooper series. The dialogue is all really crisp. It's delivered really well with extreme feeling and you just really enjoy listening to the characters tell their story as they're moving along um so i've played one two and three all of which you know take place in this world where sly cooper is a raccoon who comes from a long line of thieving raccoons called the cooper clan and the thievius raccoonus is this book that he his clan has put together of all of their different skills and styles. It's almost like a grimoire for thieving raccoons. And using this book, he could learn 
all of his ancestors' history and trade, but it was stolen from him at a young age. This is in the first game, when his uh, parents were killed and he was sent off to an orphanage. Um, he knew that there were five fiendish people called the Fiendish Five, go fig, and they tore the book up into five parts, which sounds like a good setup for a level system. <laughs> and then he gets sent to an orphanage and he meets Bentley, which is an extremely intelligent turtle, and he meets Murray, who is a very kind-hearted but not as intelligent hippopotamus, and they become the new Cooper clan. They are the, or not Cooper clan, Cooper gang. And they do a lot of stealing and thieving, but they always thieve, they always steal from other thieves and give back to the people. So they defeat the big bad in the first game. I don't want to say a lot about the plot because I could really easily ruin ruin that one. In the second game, they kind of have a similar idea. They're trying to they're trying to keep the big bad from coming into power again. Uh, in the third game, somebody has discovered another uh, Cooper vault with all of their secrets in it. And it's all about trying to get that vault back. And this fourth game is about time travel. So all of the Sly Cooper um, people from the Thievius Raccoonus are disappearing from time, which means somebody's discovered how to travel back in time and is taking out Sly's clan one by one. But anyway, the gameplay is extremely fluid. The graphics are gorgeous. The music is so-so. It's, it's pretty good for a game, and the voice acting is incredible. I'd really recommend anybody who has a PlayStation 2 or a PlayStation 3, they have um, a set of all three called the Sly Collection of the first games, and then the fourth one is for PlayStation 3. Pick them up. Give them a chance. Uh, they are really, really great games, and while I feel like he's pretty well-known, he's certainly not as popular as a lot of uh, video game characters are, and I think that he's a really fantastically written character. So that's that's the video games for this week. Um, technology this week, I don't have a ton of stuff or commentary because I feel like I kind of went off about the Nexus stuff last week. But what I will do is do a, a quick tick, tech tip of the day, um... And that is back up your stuff. I've never seen anything quite so sad as somebody losing all of their pictures. And in this day and age, people don't have negatives anymore. And they don't have solid photographs that they can copy and reduplicate anymore. Almost everything is in the digital realm. So if you're running at home with a computer that's the only place where you have your um, pictures... And your hard drive fails, which, by the way, all hard drives eventually fail. They're, I'm not going to say they're designed to do it, but there's no way to design against eventual mechanical failure. Um, if your hard drive fails, you've lost the only copy of those memories you have. And that's, that's just brutal. It's a really bad thing to do. In addition to that, um, any works that you might have on your computer... I know I have some friends who are musicians. All of your music that you've recorded onto your computer. I have some friends who are writers. All of your writings that are recorded onto your computer. Those are all things you're threatened to lose forever if you don't back them up. So, some ways to do this. 
First off, there's a rule in backing up called the rule of three. And the way the rule of three works is you should always have three copies of your really important or irreplaceable data. Two of those copies should be across different media. So it shouldn't all be on one hard drive. If I make three copies on one hard drive and the hard drive fails, I've still lost all three copies. You could do two hard drives. You could do hard drives and DVDs. You could do hard drives and tape. Yes, some people still use tape. Um, Or you could do hard drives and online. But whatever you do, you have to do across two different types of media. And finally, one of those copies should be stored somewhere else. If your house burns down and you have three copies of the data in the house, you've done yourself no favors. So the three, uh, the rule of three, or the three-two-one rules, it's sometimes called, is three copies of your data, two of which should be on different types of media, and at least one of them should be at a different location than the other two. Now, how do you do that? The nice thing in this day and age is it's really easy to buy cheap and simple backup solutions. One of the options out there is called CrashPlan, and CrashPlan will just back up your stuff to an off-site server continuously while you're working. So it's always backing up anything that's changing while you're working on it. Uh, you could also buy a external hard drive that you can hook up to your computer so that you have your second copy locally. But I cannot stress this enough, guys. If you have really critical data, and frankly, if you are a net native or you live in modern society and aren't a Luddite, you probably do, you should be backing it up. And if you're not, you're really putting yourself in more jeopardy than you realize. So that's my tech tip of the day. Backups, three, two, one. Um, Movies. Adrian and I have seen a couple of interesting movies lately. Uh, We saw Silver Linings Playbook, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it a lot. It was not at all what I expected, mostly because I wasn't expecting so many of the characters to be so insane. Um, It was also really hard, because Bradley Cooper's character, for those who don't know, is a... And I'm not going to spoil anything with this. This is sort of revealed in the first five minutes. He is a a person who suffers from bipolar disorder, and he doesn't want to take his medication. Now, for anybody who knows me, um, I have a brother who essentially, I say, died from bipolar disorder. He committed suicide because he the low was so low, and he just refused to take his, his medication. So the movie kind of hit close to home on that, um, but it was a fantastic film. It was definitely worth the watch. Um, Jennifer Lawrence does a really, really good job in it, and I think that she deserves the award that she got. What frustrates me is uh, I think Bradley Cooper did an equally good job. I think he was amazing in his role as well. And I find it a little bit sad that he wasn't nominated for any Oscars when I really think that he, he nailed this part. So, And I just sort of like him as an actor. He's kind of up and coming at this point. So... Silver Linings Playbook we saw. We also caught on Netflix something I had seen before, but Adrian hadn't, and I, I want to plug it here if for any of the people who are into some old-school kind of stuff. We saw the new Muppet movie, um, the one with Jason Siegel and Amy Adams, and I just want to say here how much I love this film, because it does a really good job of being 
very kind and honorable to the original Muppets. The original concept of the Muppet show as a variety show and kind of the the strange silliness of the movies and the TV show while still occasionally making a serious point. They could have decided to modernize it in so many ways that would have made sense on paper but ruined the spirit of the show and they didn't. They kept it as silly and strange and slapsticky and frankly I think um, as light-hearted as it kind of needed to be to continue being the Muppets. So this is a movie, it's also a musical. There are lots of musical numbers, several of which are fantastic. I'd recommend anybody who was ever a child <laughs> go see this film. It'll, if it doesn't make you smile, then I don't want to hear about your week because it must have been awful. Uh, seriously, go see this film. It's been really, really great. So those are the movies that I've seen recently. Again, like I said, it's been a busy week. Um, the one other thing that I think Roger will like to hear is I did finish The Gunslinger. It was a hard read. I, Again, I, I reiterate that I'm not exactly certain what it is with King, but a lot of the time he just speaks in a language that I just don't feel like I connect with. Like, I don't quite know what he's saying, and sometimes have to go back and read things like two or three times to figure out what he's actually getting to. So I'm more and more convinced it's just something about the way my brain works and how Stephen King writes and how those two things mesh together. But I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I am intrigued enough in this story uh, to move on to the second book in The Dark Tower, The Drawing of Three. Uh, and I that one started off really... <laughs> Really intense from the beginning, so I'm curious to see where it's going with it. Um, and that's about all I had for this week. Uh, I have a quotation from you. It's a little bit obscure, but, you know, I want you guys to try and tell me who this was and what it's from. If you have any ideas on it, you can email me at bbcs at AaronMBond.com that's for Bad Brain Curio Shop Aaron is spelled with two A's M is as in Michael and Bond is spelled like James Bond um, or you could tweet at me at Bad Brain Curio so listen to this quote let me know if you can figure out who this is I'll torture you so slowly you'll think it's a career I'll kill your friends, your family and the bitch you took to the prom Patty Joe Byarski, I can get you an address on that if you want. All right, that's all I've got time for this week, guys. Hope to see you next, and hope everybody is doing well. Have a great week. Intro and outro music provided by Latchy Swing. Hear more of their music at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash L-A-T-C-H underscore swing. This podcast was recorded, produced, and distributed using open source technologies. The Bad Brain Curio Shop podcast is copyrighted 2013 and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike 3.0 Unported License. For more information, visit creativecommons.org.